Everyone, Willie Miranda with the Ultimate Real Estate Success Blueprint, and I'm here today with Giovanni Lisi. Hello, Giovanni. Hey, Willie. Thanks for having me. Now, for the sake of the call, I'm going to call you Gio. Is that okay? That's fine. You that did works. tell me that's what your friends call you, so I figured yes. we were friends and I'd call you that. that so, um, but hey, I'm, I'm so, so excited to have you on. I know you're one of our uh, panelists on the upcoming event that we're doing here, the Real Estate Success Summit on October 19th. Uh, and you know, you have a great story and that was one of the things that really attracted me to you when I first met you, uh, was all the different things that you were doing, not only in real estate, but also with your investment side of things. And uh, I thought we just started off by, uh, just telling a little about yourself, uh, background and how you even got into this business. Yeah, absolutely. So I was, uh, 19 at the time when, uh, the idea of getting my real estate license came across my plate. Um, I was actually finishing up my freshman year at Siena college. Um, but right before that, I was looking around, I was in a class uh, with probably like 35, 40 students. And there were a lot of even upperclassmen in my class. And I was looking around and saying, wow, we're all going to school to have a business degree at Siena. But how can I set myself apart from everyone else in my class? Right. And at the time, more or less entertaining the thought of becoming a realtor was another way to build my resume. I never really thought of it as a career. And my dad at the time, um, he still does. He was running an appliance store in Albany and one of his biggest clients did a lot of flips here in the capital region. And they were also a real estate broker. And I was able to shadow that individual for about a month to two months. I was almost like their personal driver slash chauffeur going to listing appointments and going to their flips and seeing how they you know, operated their business. And I decided, wow, this is something I could see myself doing at least while I'm in school, right? You know, one way to set myself up when I go to on a job interview, I could say, hey, what 19 year old at the time owns and operates their own business? And they'd say none. And I'd be like, awesome. That would be my foot in the door. And then I decided to get my license. It was like that June of like 2017. I took my course at Manfred. You were actually one of my final, uh, yeah. my final instructors at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, everything kind of comes full circle, which is, which is funny. And I remember sitting through that class and, you know, everyone says, oh, like half the, you know, not even half the room, like only a few of you are going to actually make it like more or less. Like that's what it, what it was said. And uh, went through, got out, kind of used that as motivation. I'm like, all right, like, yeah, like I'm definitely going to make it like watch, like you'll see. And uh, ended up doing it full time while I was in school, had my first deal probably shortly after, like two months after I got my license and then started scaling up my business all throughout college, did it full time as much as I could while going to Siena. And it was kind of a struggle sometimes doing like, you know, managing my business and also managing my education. Like there was a time I was doing a uh, like a review for like a midterm and I was sitting in the midterm review class and my phone's just blowing up. I had a closing and uh, I didn't know what like what to make of it because like the closing was going sour like while I was sitting at my desk, like more or less. It was like the final walkthrough for the I was a listing agent on the buyer side. They were freaking out because a whole bunch of fixtures were taken out of the house, which they weren't supposed to. And uh, I ended up having to make the decision, all right, do I get maybe a mediocre grade on my midterm if I don't sit through this class? And like, all right, like risk the chance of like having no stress about this class and my grade in it, or do I go out and make like $7,000? And I said, all right, like screw it. I'm leaving the midterm review class and I went out and saved the closing. But at the end of the day, I still got a pretty good grade in that, in that class overall. And uh, was fortunate enough, like I've had moments like that throughout my college career like all right is it business over education or is it education over business and uh was fortunate enough where during my senior year of college i actually made the switch to serenity real estate where i'm at now and my principal brokers that i work with they own over 250 rental units and then we manage a handful of others on top of that mm -hmm. and at the time 
that was kind of like my motivating factor to make the switch is like trying to figure out more on the investment side of real estate. I had like residential real estate mastered, which I, in my mind, mastered as far as like understanding contracts, listing agreements, all that, working with buyers and sellers. But I wanted to try something new, something that I knew would create more like retirement slash generational wealth or like financial security down the line. And I always wanted to get into the investment space of real estate, um, but just didn't know how to do it. And I ended up uh, making that switch and then going ahead and um, it was like March of 2020, actually right when COVID hit, I had to decide, am I going to do real estate full time or am I going to get a normal nine to five? And I just know my personality. I can't sit behind a desk. Like I need to be out in the field, like interacting with people and seeing something new every single day. And as you know, in real estate, like we can do that. And I ended up uh, making the jump going full time, hundred percent, like after I graduated and absolutely killed it these last few years. Um, I was able to crack the top 10% of all realtors in the capital region last year, um, doing, you know, north of $5 million in sales volume, if not, you know, more than that, whatever the number is. And then uh, this year, you know, my goal is to double my business. So get close to $10 million in sales volume. And uh, while doing that, I actually started investing in real estate in August of 2020. Um, so I started buying investment properties myself. I have a business partner who we actually met on Craigslist, believe it or not. Um, and we ended up uh, deciding to partner up together. We had, you know, the same goals and visions, but we're in a way yin and yang. I'd like to say like he does more financial aspects, sits behind the desk, crunches the numbers, deals with all our private money investors and all that. And I'm the one out in the field, finding us deals, finding us tenants, dealing with contractors. So we have a good balance, which is awesome for a partnership because you never want to just jump into partnering with anyone. And then uh, now I, I currently today own 30 rental units and I'm under contract for eight, eight more units. So I'll have like 38 units by probably Thanksgiving time. And uh, yeah, the sky's the limit. I've been able to scale it up this much in the last two years on in the investment space while also still being a top agent. So that's awesome. It's a great story. And that's why we're on here today, just to kind of break it down a little bit. But, you know, it all started, like you said, just going to Siena College, right? Going to business. And uh, th now there's a real estate major there too, right? Did you take that major or no? Uh, so Sienna at the time when I was there, they didn't have it. Um, but right. when I first was going to Sienna, it was for accounting and finance. And then I realized after taking a few classes, those weren't the courses for me and then made the switch halfway through to marketing. So it kind of works out for what, what I do now. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and you know, I, I heard early on, I mean, going, I'll age myself a little bit, going back to the Carl, Carlton sheets. I'm sure you've heard of the name. I mm -hmm. uh, was an info, um, commercial guy that came on every day pretty much. And, was talking about buying investments. And, you know, I heard from a lot of agents when I first got into the business that, you know, yeah, you can make a lot of money selling real estate, but the real wealth in real estate is purchasing it, right? And holding it. And there's a concept that they have a lot of times of buying and flipping or buying and holding. And I thought maybe you could just share a little bit about, you know, what your philosophy is on that and what you, you know, see as best. Yeah. So for me, I like to buy and hold. Um, like flipping is great. Like you can make quick, quick money and that's awesome. But you also are taxed on that at the end of the day. So mm -hmm. for me, I like to basically flip these properties back to myself. And the method that I use for my investment side of real estate is the Burr method. So what that is, is buy, rent, or buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and then repeat the process. So I'll find a property. It doesn't even have to be in distress. It could just be undervalued, right? And right. And when I say that, you know, it needs to be, you know, value add to it, um, which could be, you know, raising the rents or doing some light cosmetic updates so I can get the rents up. Um, so that's like the type of properties that I like to find is like underperforming, you know, real estate properties right now. Um, and 
like for example, my first deal that I purchased, and I could walk you through it more or less because then it under, you kind of get an idea on what the method's like is we bought a three unit in Water Valite for 165000 And when I analyze a deal, I always want to have three outs. And like, I want to make sure that I'm still protected when I make that purchase. So I knew right when I could, you know, right when I purchased that property, I could probably sell it tomorrow and make a profit on it truly because I was getting a pretty good deal. And the seller, they just didn't want to have to post the the property on the MLS and we're just happy with an all cash offer, waiving inspections, and we're just wanted to be done with the building. But I knew I could eventually, you know, if I want to sell it tomorrow, I could. And then the second ideology is, all right, what if I go ahead and like, can I flip the property, right? Can I do the renovations, then put on the MLS and make a profit on it? Or my ultimate goal is the Burr method, buying it for myself, renovating it, refinance out and holding it. And that's ultimately my goal every time. And it's played true up to this point. And that one I bought for 165, did about $20,000 in renovations, was all in it for 185. And that appraised out for 230 through National Bank of Kuksaki on a cash out refinance. And at the time they were doing 85% loan of value. So I was able to actually take 85% of the value out of it. And luckily it was right around, I'd say 185 range anyways, after closing costs is what the check they gave to me at closing table. So I basically paid back my private money lender because I have a private money lender that backs me on yeah. on the initial purchase, was able to pay them back in full. And now I own a piece of real estate where technically in my eyes, I bought it for free, right? Because I didn't have to come out of my own pocket. I came out $0. And now I'm still cash flowing on that property every month. So we make right around, I'd say, close to $1,000 a month off of it. Um, and that's after all expenses, CapEx, vacancy, all that, and after my mortgage. Um, so in a way that investment property has an infinite return because I put $0 of my own money into it. So even if I made $1 off of it, it's still an awesome return, but $1 wouldn't get me out of bed every, every month to have to worry about the stress and all that. But yeah, we're making good money on that. And then I just snowballed and used the snowball effect and kept buying and buying the same exact way. And that's how I've been able to scale up my portfolio to where it is now. So. All right. So let's break down his bird method. Cause I think it's important because I think that's a great way to buy investment properties um, you can get really hurt if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, yes. We have some, you know, investors uh, getting out there buying property and overpaying for these properties. And by the time they fit, factor in all their repair costs and then everything yeah. else, I, I've seen a lot because I'm on the real estate side. So I see, you know, when we get the listing and there are people like, I can't even finish the job. I got too much money into it. I'm not yeah. going to get that money out. Uh, we want to definitely um, uh, make sure that the people that we're talking to out there and people that are listening to this uh, podcast that, you know, that they're, they're understanding that it's so important to follow a true formula on it. So let's start with the B and Burr, which is buying it. Right. And when you're buying those properties, sorry about that. When you're buying these properties, you're buying properties um, at a certain percentage or a certain uh, before repair cost value. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could talk a little about the buy side of that. Yeah. So when I, when I analyze a deal, I want to be able to make sure that I could refinance it out at the end. Right. So let's say right now the average uh, loan of value on a refinance cash out refinance is 80%, right? right? So Sunmark offers it, Trusco offers it. A lot of the banks offer it here in the capital region, a lot of the local lenders. So I'll take a deal and we'll say, okay, let's say the AR, we'll find out what the ARV is. What's the after repair value on this? And I'll find that number first based on looking at local comps. And then I'll take 80% of that number. And that's kind of where, where it would be at, you know, after I do my renovations, that's what the number should look like that I kind of owe on and, the property. Right, right. End up at, right. Right. And 
So from there, if there's renovations that are needed, I need to subtract off of that number. So let's say it needs $30,000 in renovations to subtract off that number. And then that's my final purchase price. That's the price that I'm willing to offer right on, on that building. And every investor is different. Like normal traditional investors are okay with just a normal market value deal. But for me, in order to pull my money out and be able to still invest with $0 out of my own pocket, that's kind of the factors that I need to have in the deal. So. Okay. So that's very well explained. And then that's the buying, buying side of it. Um, And now when you're buying it, are you going in as a cash buyer or you're going in with, you said private, private money, right? Yeah. So, I mean, on paper, I'm cash, right? But I do have a private money lender backing us on all our deals. So actually we have four now that back us on all our transactions. So they get a percentage of uh, like interest only payments for, you know, it's usually a six month hold time. So for the first six months, they would get their interest only payments. And our goal is to be refinanced out before those six months come up. And if we have to go a little bit longer, they're happy because they're making, you know, on average 10% on their money. So um, for us, usually, realistically speaking, um, those holding costs are also kind of factored into the renovation costs, more or less. So I'm not really coming out of my pocket during that time. And most of these properties that I'm purchasing are already fully rented. So they're already paying down on that each month, no matter what. So it's more or less, yes, it's a it's an upfront cost of 10%. People are like, wow, I can't believe you pay 10%. But in the grand scheme of things, it's allowed me to buy real estate with $0 out of my own pocket. So it's okay. worked for awesome. so far. And then how, how would someone go about, you know, reaching out to a private money lender? I mean, how do they find that, that person? Yeah. So that was my biggest hurdle. I was like 22 when I first bought my first building. Right. So for me at the time, like who would lend to a 22 year old? Yeah. Granted, my mom passed away when I was younger. I was left a piece of real estate. Um, but that like, I don't technically have my own, you know, investment property already. I don't have my own piece of real estate right now. So it was hard for me to kind of vouch for myself or put my name out there. I think the biggest thing I was able to do is kind of highlight, all right, my years as a realtor, my experience as like a property manager for managing my, um, you know, broker's, you know, portfolio at the time Mm -hmm. and use that kind of to leverage myself. Uh, But the biggest part was me finding a business partner. My business partner, he's 29 now. um, And he's a local CPA and his name's Sean Daly. And Sean has access to a lot of money here in the area. He just knows kind of naturally who has money, right? Being a CPA. But um, that helped us from the start. Um, Finding that private money was really his his help. And then now at this point, we've been able to do it so much where now just people approaching us willing to just lend money where at first it was us trying to find them. So now they're finding us, which is cool. But. That's great. Yeah. And I, and I think too, advice I would give is someone was out there looking for that. I mean, they can always go to call you if it's someone here in a local area um, or, you know, call a real estate agent that works with a lot of investors because they're yeah. going to know about these private lenders who's, who, you know, who's good to work with, who's good to stay away from. Right. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure that they're going to fund this loan at closing. Right. Yes. Uh, I've heard some horror stories where they've gotten private lending money and then all of a sudden that, you know, private lender decided to skip town. Mm-hmm. So there could be some horror stories with that. So getting a reputable private le- le- lender to help is going to be very important. Yeah, I think, any- it, I, think, I think one thing for people to realize is there's a difference between private money and hard money, right? So like right. hard money out there is, it could be a lending institution, right? Sometimes even a mortgage lender has access to hard money. Those rates tend to be a little bit higher than the normal private money lenders rates. And they, you tend to have points added onto that. And then on top of that, you also have to put 
a percentage down where if a private money lender, it's usually friends, family, close acquaintance that are backing these deals. So someone that really you already have a working relationship with, that's true private money and your terms are a lot more favorable because they know who you are. It's not going through like a, you know, a second, second process, but yeah. Yep. Right. So one more thing on the buy side of the B of Burr uh, is really when you're buying these, like how are you finding these great deals? Cause what I found is that a lot of the, uh, listings that are on MLS are not always your best pick um, because, you know, every investor is looking at that and they end up getting multiple offers and sometimes selling for more where your number doesn't work out. I would think that your best deals are the ones that are unlisted, right. And that are coming to you or that you're going to them. Uh, what are, what are a couple of ways that you attract and get these buyers to come to you uh, to make those purchases? Yeah. I think for me, it's like, or you said finding the sellers, right? Is that kind of more yes. or less? Yeah. yeah. I think it, at this point for us as a, as a brokerage at this point, as an entire team, we own over 350 rental units in the capital region. So we have a lot of word of mouth referral business, right? Just like a natural agent. If you did 350 sales, you're going to be able to have, you know, a ton of referral. Um, so at this point, we're getting a lot of people who call us who we've either purchased buildings from in the past and mm -hmm. they want to sell now or they know someone who wants to sell because we did right by them when we purchased our when we purchased their property. Um, so that's number one. I'd say number two, more or less, is networking. Like I love networking. Like that's my favorite thing to do, and I think that's why I've been able to set myself apart from the average twenty-four year old. Right. Mm -hmm. I. I I go out to networking events. Sometimes I host networking events. I'm a presenter at networking events. I really like interacting with people and getting to hear their story. And then naturally, if you hear their story, they're going to want to hear your story, right? And uh, kind of get my name out there that way. And that's really how I've been able to even scale my real estate business over these last five years is, you know, when I first got in the industry, my goal every single day was to interact with one new face every single day. I didn't care who they were, whether it's through social media or going out and having a, a cup of coffee with them, whether they're in the real estate industry or not. Right. I want people to know who I am because naturally when they think real estate, I want them to think Giovanni Lisi right at the end of the day. And now I think more or less it's switched a little bit where people think investment properties, they think Giovanni. So um, that's how I've been able to kind of grow and scale my business and get a lot of sellers off of that. And I do a handful of, you know, off market deals, whether to myself, or even I have a handful of local buyers that I've met through meetups or through different transactions that are always out looking for properties. So when I get one, I'm like, all right, I'll call Joe. Like Joe's ready to go because I, I know he has, you know, the cash available and let's get this thing closed. So, yeah. Okay, great. So networking, word of mouth, I mean, that's your best source. I mean, I know people send out letters and they do certain things, but really not, most of the people I talk to that do a lot of investment properties, it's all word of mouth and getting out there. So that's awesome. All right, let's go into the next phase of it. So you, you bought a property, the numbers look like they work, everything is going solid. Now you're going into the renovation side of things. Uh, what's your setup for that? Yeah, so the hardest part is finding contractors. Like that's the biggest, the biggest challenge. I always say the two hardest things as a real estate investor are dealing with tenants and finding contractors. And it's one of those two things that usually burn out in a in real estate investor. And that's when they're calling me ready to sell their property. Uh, but yeah, I think... The hardest part was definitely finding the contractors. I found a lot through Craigslist. I say you go through a hundred to find one good one. That's usually kind of the generic for a contractor. But right now we have a pretty good solid crew going where we have guys that we've used over time that we know they work. And you know we've had guys that we've used that don't work and we know not to use them now. And I don't refer them to anyone else, right? But um, the crew that we have going now, uh, we have like four guys that do our, our turnovers and they're my solid go-to four guys every time. But for me to scale at times too, 
they either need to grow their team personally, or I need to grow my team of contractors more or less, because uh, only there's only so much four guys can do. And when I have like five turnovers going at once. So, yeah. Yeah. It makes a big difference. And, and you're right. I mean, I'd see a lot of contractors now, actually they're starting to want the business again for a while there, they were uh, uh, not wanting to work. And, you know, I know there was a lot of money being spread around out there through the government and, and, uh, but now I've seen a lot more contractors that are starting to come back and want to get the jobs because things are slowing down a little bit. So, yeah. uh, all right. So you got to renovate it. It's ready to roll next. Uh, are you, are you going right to the rental process? Or yeah, then, yeah. Then we instantly go to the rental process because in order for me to refinance, I need to have, you know, solid rents coming in. I need to have those leases. I need to know that that's exactly what a tenant's going to pay. So we'll get it out there. We'll get it rented. We normally go through like apartments.com or Zillow, um, sometimes Facebook marketplace. And then we go ahead and we'll get a good quality tenant in there. I don't kind of, I kind of hold out a little bit sometimes. Like I don't want to just put anyone and everyone in there. I want to be sure I have a solid person that I'm comfortable with that meets all our requirements. And I don't ever dictate off those requirements because if you do that once, then you're kind of screwed. So you kind of have to just stick to your guns, whether you like it or not. And if that takes a month, two months, then so be it. I'd much rather have someone who's willing to pay two months worth of rent than someone who's not going to pay those two months worth of rent. So, yeah. So you have the luxury and at your company, you guys do property management. So you guys property manage your own properties, correct? That's correct. Yep. So what about with, uh, do you recommend for a new investor coming into it to work with a you know, some type of a property manager or should they be doing it on their own? Within reason. I think if you're local and maybe it's a two or a three unit, something easy, easy to manage, something maybe even that's been redone. If you're buying something that's more turnkey, I'd say give it a shot and manage it on your own. It's really not that hard. You know, people always worry about the 2 a.m. phone calls and that's kind of the excuse of people not investing in real estate. But I never had a 2 a.m. phone call in these last few years of doing this, knock on wood. I'd say, yes, I've gotten calls or texts, but some things can wait. Like I'll tell my tenant, like I'll show my tenants where the sh water shutoffs are. I'll show them where the important things are because if there's a huge leak that comes up, all right, go down stairs and turn off the water like you know naturally to do that but if it's a small little hair drip leak it can wait till the morning it naturally can right and obviously if someone's heat goes out we're gonna that's an emergency we'll get someone over there right away um but some things can wait to the morning they don't need to be worked on within seconds so um that's one thing that kind of is a holdback to some investors but i'd say to get back to your question if you're an out-of-state investor I don't know how out-of-state investors self-manage. I really don't. It's like mind-boggling. I would be nerve-wracking if I started investing in like the Boston market, right? Like that's three hours away. Like I have to worry about getting there. If I really have to in a timely manner, it takes me three hours, right? Or if I'm not there 24-7, are my contractors truly doing the quality of work that I expect, right? Without having that someone boots on the ground, it's tough. So I would say if it's an out-of-state investor or an out-of-area investor, definitely property management should be something that they're thinking about. And luckily, you know, even with you know, our team, I'm able to sell a lot of investors from Long Island properties because I am able to, in the back end, manage their stuff, right? And, you know, they feel comfortable because we have that boots on the ground. Um, and then if it's someone new starting out and it's a large portfolio, maybe it's best to hire a property manager because it's your first, your first one and it's pretty large. So, yeah. You know, it's funny what you said about uh, the 2 a.m. calls. You're right. I mean, I've had a lot of rental properties myself and I never got calls at 2 a.m. Uh, but you're right. It does discourage a lot of potential investors or buyers out there to get into investments. And it's really not that horrible. I mean, even what we went through with COVID and, you know, the, there was a lot of rumors out there that everyone was not going to pay their rents and everything else. Um, you know, I talked to some of my investors are like, yeah, we had a couple of people that, you know, 
kind of knew the rules and knew what was going on, but for the most part, over 90% of them paid their rent. So, I mean, it has a, you know, there's a reason why uh, we call them investments because it's a, you know, a great residual income uh, that you get from buying these properties. So let's go into the next piece of it. So we talked about the, you know, the rental piece of it, you know, renovations, the buy. Um, now you go into refinancing, correct? Mm-hmm. You're going to pull yep. your money out like you talked about before. What are some of the avenues that, uh, whether it be a single property, single family property, or, you know, uh, you can go up to a four unit, right? And actually do this. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what, what would be your approach? I know you're, you have probably a different approach now, but is it the same approach or would you advise a different approach for someone new getting into this type of work? I mean, it would definitely have to be a very similar approach to what I'm doing. So I buy all my properties in its own separate LLC. So at the end of the day, some of these are even considered commercial loans because they're a company that owns the owns the real estate. So a lot of times, even with a commercial loan, you're still getting that 80% loan of value with some lenders here in the capital region. One thing to note on the Burr method, and some people have been burned on this in the past, but there's ways around it. There's lenders out there that don't have this, is a seasoning period. And what that means is you need to own that piece of real estate for at least six months before you can truly refinance out. Some banks do that here in the capital region, and then there's some lenders that do not have a seasoning period. Sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know in the industry, right? So in order to get a way, way around that, you kind of got to know the right people more or less. Mm-hmm. But um, some lenders require that and some don't. So some people I've spoke to in the past are like, wow, I tried to do a burr and I didn't realize that I had to hold it for six months. Well, no, that's not entirely true. There's lenders out there that will still finance it even without that seasoning period. So that's number one. Number two, I'd say is, you know, more or less, being making sure that the property cash flows like right making sure that you have a good debt coverage ratio so god forbid if something does go wrong you're still covered and that's what a, most banks here in the area on a cash out refinance look at they want to make sure that you have a good debt coverage ratio and make sure that if something if a tenant does stop paying you're still able to pay on that mortgage because right. they're looking at the property more so than you as an individual investor. Like they're looking at the property cash flow and making sure that it's a solid investment. They're lending on that property. But yes, it's important that they're still doing their background check on you and that you have good credit and all that. But they're worrying more about the property itself performing than you as an individual. Um, so that's what I've noticed while dealing with a lot of local lenders. And there's some great people out there and great loan products for exactly what I do. So, you know, it's interesting. You said each and every one of your properties is a single LLC, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have some investors that say, well, I'll just put them all under one LLC or put five at a time. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? And why do you do them as a single versus four or five in, in, in one LLC? I like to do them as a single because it's more or less you're you're protected on each individual one. God forbid one of my tenants slips and falls or a contractor fell off a ladder or whatever. Within theory, yes, there's ways to pierce a corporate veil, but they're really only going after that one individual property because it's owned under that LLC, how I understand it, right? Someone may have a different interpretation, but this is how it was explained to me through real estate attorney. And I'm not giving any legal advice, but this is how it is for me as an individual, how I understand it and why I do it. I feel more comfortable when I have them in their own separate LLCs because then I can have my own separate bank account for each individual property. So then we're not worrying about commingling any funds or security deposits. So it's all all separate. Each individual real estate property has its own separate checking and savings account. And you're able to manage all your funds and you're able to see how that real estate performs on paper under one shelter, right? Um, where in theory, if you have them all at once, it's hard to track. Granted, I have a CPA as a business partner, so I don't have to worry about you know every individual LLC's tax every year, like having to worry about paying a CPA to do the tax return on a 
an LLC that can add up. Right? right. So if you're doing, if you have 10 buildings and you have 10 LLCs, you're looking at maybe $10,000 at least for, you know, accounting fees. So luckily not, you know, I have, I have a, I am able to have that covered. So it works for me, but something to keep in mind with someone getting into this, that they want to scale up their portfolio. That's something that they're going to have to incorporate and add as an expense within the overall investment. You know, all right, what are my accounting fees? People leave that out. So yeah, that's a great point. Great point. All right. So then the next uh, piece of it, I mean, you refinance it and then it's what's the, the last R here. Yeah. The refinance. And then you just repeat the process more or less. So you're just snowballing it. A lot of people said after you get through your first one, it becomes natural and it's easy. That's, Pretty much true. I mean, once I got through my first one, now I understood the process. I get it. Now the second one was a little bit easier. Now the third one was even more easier. So the more that you do, it's repetition, the better you're going to get. So there's a lot of learning mistakes that I learned along the way um, that I was able to take away, which were learning lessons. And now I, I kind of learn from those mistakes and correct them. Luckily, I had some mentors going into this and watched them perform before I started buying. So I was able to learn from their mistakes up front and knew not to do certain things you know, up front, which was good. So I kind of had that that heads up. But I think for anyone getting into anything in life, and, I, and I'm a big believer in this, you know, I had a mentor when I first got into real estate is on the sales aspect, and I had a mentor on the investment side. I think finding a good mentor, someone who's already doing it, someone who's already doing it better than you, picking their brain, getting their advice, figuring out what can you do that's different from them, but in the meantime, be able to pull their strengths and their weaknesses and understand what they are, you know, will help better you as an individual, will help excel you ultimately into being something even greater, right? I think a lot of our top agents here in the area, they had a mentor, they had someone to go to and they looked after and they were able to pick their brain and, and a lot of bigger investors, same thing in here in the area, they had that mentor. So that's my biggest advice for anyone starting out, whether it's new as an agent, being a new 20 year old agent, or uh, going ahead and being a new 20 year old investor. Like that's my advice. So. No, it's great. You took the, the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask you that, you know, what advice would you give? And I thought you, you know, laid that all out perfectly. And a mentor, having a mentor is so important. Like you said, you know, success leaves clues. And I'm sure they made a lot of mistakes along the way and they're teaching you the right way of doing it versus the wrong. Right. Um, so, you know, moving forward here, I mean, you know, you got a great start. I mean, how old are you now? 24? 24, yep. Wow, that's awesome. And uh, so what's the future hold for you? What are you looking to do with this uh, investment portfolio uh, in yeah. the next coming years? I think continuing to scale it up. Like my goal is to create financial freedom for myself. And you know what that what that means to me is maybe you know not have to worry about working 24/7, being able to enjoy the finer things in life. I like to travel, like to play golf. Um, you know, those are the biggest things, but I think I look more towards my future, right? I think it's being there for my kids, being able to be there at their baseball games or softball games or whatever sports that they play. Um, eventually being there for most of their you know, early life, being able to enjoy that. I think what I take away from that is when I, I was probably a freshman in high school, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And then uh, my junior, you know, she went through remission, had it removed. And, you know, she was in the clear for about two years. And then my junior year of high school, um, it came back and it spread to her liver. And she only had really a month to live. She passed away um, my junior year of high school. So that made me realize early on to live each day like it's your last. I think that's why I think I'm more mature than the average 24-year-old, probably in a better situation than the average 24-year-old is I really live each day like it's my last. I uh, I want to be able to, you know, perform and, you know, you know, I guess make my mom proud, right, more or less. Um, but being able to be there down the line for my kids, and I think 
in the future, how can I do that? Well, I want to be financially free. I don't want to have to worry about working nine to five or late nights or different things like that. And I miss my kids' sporting events or, you know, school plays or whatever it is. I want to be able to be there for them while also being comfortable while doing that. And uh, I, I guess my goal ultimately is to be able to retire by the age of 30. I say that, but by 30, I'll probably have goals that would, you know, even be 10 times what I have today. So I, I'll probably never stop. I think most true entrepreneurs never truly stop, but I want to be able to be financially free by the age of 30. That's the ultimate goal. So. Well, you're definitely on your way there, my man. So keep up the great work. And uh, thank you so much for just dropping a ton of knowledge on this podcast today. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be inspired by it. And, uh, you know, who knows, you know, I, you talked about networking. It's a great way to network as well. If uh, if anyone was interested in maybe, you know, partnering up with you or giving you a deal or getting a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, I say the best way is just reach out to me more or less on social media. Um, but even, you know, call or text me. My phone number's blasted out there all online. So if you Google my name, you'll find my phone number. Um, but I also have an Instagram uh that is more pertaining to the investment side of real estate. I kind of highlight my journey on there and it's called the Burr Kid. So it's the and then B with four R's kid on Instagram. So I uh post a lot of content on there that's valuable to most investors, those who are just starting out those who are young like myself just getting into it, or even an older investor that maybe wants to you know, perfect their game. Um, so that's something that I offer as well. So Awesome. The Burr Kid. So check out The Burr Kid on Instagram and uh, check out the story. I know I've been watching it and uh, it's been very uh, enlightening to see. And actually, uh, you don't know this, but it motivated me to buy a couple properties myself. I'm actually uh, renovating one right now. I have one already purchased. And uh, it's fun. It's fun, like you said, once you get the momentum going uh, to get back into it. Because let's face it, right? The stock market is not doing what it should be doing. And this is something that's going to create uh, wealth and, and income in the future. So, uh, Gio, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, for anyone looking to uh, get into investments or maybe have a deal you want to pass on, if you're real estate licensed, I'm sure Gio would be more than happy to give you some type of a referral fee for that. Um, but uh, again, do it the right way. and. Uh, Gio's got it down pat. So thank you so much, Gio. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bowie.